welcome back to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch. This season, we're talking to digital growth and demand gen marketers about how they use audience journey strategy and metrics to accelerate business growth. I'm Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of Demand Gen here at Notch. In this episode, I'm joined by Kim Roman, Senior Director of Global Campaigns at TalkDesk. She's a self-proclaimed strategic yet imaginative digital marketer, and it's so apparently true in our interview. We're discussing strategies around one of the most important pieces in a conversion journey, the demo. How do you get the right people to it? And how do you know it's providing value for your customers and, of course, for your business? If you're not in the demo biz, there's still tons of value here. Imagine instead of demo, I said freemium trial, product video, get a quote, book an agent, request more information. You get the idea. This one is for everyone. Really quick, do me a favor and check if you are subscribed so you don't miss any episodes this season. We'll have interviews with marketers from Chili Piper, Gong, Stack Overflow, and more. Hello, welcome back to Pros and Content. I'm Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of Demand Generation. And today I have a great guest, Kim Roman, Senior Director of Global Campaigns and Performance Marketing at Talk Desk. Hi, Kim. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, let's kick off really quickly and have you just tell us a bit about what led you to where you are today. So, you know, in my career, I've spent probably close to the last 15 years in marketing. The first role that I had was actually at a high precision metrology company, which is just a fancy way of saying, you know, measurement equipment for engineers. But that's really where I started my dive into digital marketing. We kind of moved from the traditional trade shows and print publications to email and um, marketing automation and just fell in love with it. And over the time, I've worked really in that capacity my entire career. Yeah. And you've had a lot of varied industries in there. You glossed over a lot, but I saw industrial machinery, IT services, health professionals. You were at Oracle for a long time working specifically with Eloqua clients. So shout out to anybody who's currently or ever has used Eloqua because you were actually working with kind of helping people do the best they could with Eloqua, right? Exactly. Yeah. And really letting them get the most out of that platform, which if you are an Eloqua user, uh, you probably know how robust and how powerful of a tool it is, but it can also be pretty challenging. So that was really fun. And it gave me a lot of exposure into different B2B organizations and how they were running their marketing. So aside from the actual marketing automation side of it, definitely gave me a lot of exposure into different strategies and tactics that were out there. Yeah, I have used Eloqua in the past and I completely agree with what you said. It's incredibly robust. I will say I had a hard time with the UI, but it was also that the data that I had to work with was really hard to pivot off of. There's so much about data and having the right things to work with so that you have the confidence to use everything that Eloqua or a lot of times any CRM, any marketing stack would let you use. Yes, absolutely. And that was actually a lot of the time, the discussions that I was having with the companies I was working with was, you know, even taking it a step back, taking it out of their marketing automation platform and saying, all right, what's in your CRM? What fields are we capturing? Is your data clean? That term garbage in, garbage out is exactly true when it comes to being able to personalize and do really cool things with your marketing. You have to have the right data to start from. I feel like personalization really quickly starts to feel complex. It's something that everybody wants to be able to do. But then like you said, if you don't have the right data in there, 
suddenly you either need to run a data cleanup or you can't actually do it or you're, you know, the way you might matrix something out to say, I want to do, you know, three versions, but three personas and suddenly that's nine things. What's the power behind, you know, like actually doing the work and getting it all set up correctly? And then are there any great examples that you've seen? Yeah. So, you know, what's nice is that now that personalization has become such a thing and it's just kind of, you know, one of the main tools that we use in marketing now, there's a lot of platforms and a lot of technology out there that lets you do that. So for us, you know, we use like a web personalization tool, for example. So we could create this matrix of, you know, nine, 12, however many different scenarios we want, where in the actual platform, it's built on, you know, just some filtering logic, right? Similar to what we would run in a report. So I think that the technology behind it is there. There's a lot of options for it. But what now becomes, you know, complex or trying to make it a little bit more digestible is how far do we go, right? You know, do we need to have, you know, 10 versions of something or can we do five versions of something? So it's kind of like, you know, you get this power and then you want to personalize it down to the very last detail. Or it can get a little crazy because yes, you can create the personalization, but then you have to create the content on the other side of that. So if you want 10 versions, now you need 10 different things to say. It's always interesting to me too, that people think that customization is just switching the words out to make sure the vocabulary matches and not like digging deeper into an industry to say, no, really, here's how the tool completely shifts if you're in that industry too. How do you decide... 10 versus five, is there a good way of knowing where that diminishing return starts to kick in? Yeah. So one of the things that we've been playing around with is trying to find, you know, not necessarily the personalization aspect, but the next best action. So that's what we've been focused on right now is, you know, you're still customizing, but instead of customizing the email, right, we're customizing the the journey. And that's where we actually found that we probably need less versions because we can have people have, you know, five different next best actions versus 10 different customized emails. So I think that's helped us out a little bit in trying to hone in on exactly what we want to customize and having it be a digestible amount for my team. Yeah. And that makes sense to where there's going to be a more finite number of next best actions for someone to take. So start there, work backwards, instead of saying, I have 10 different combinations of personas and regions or personas and industries. Let's go for all of it. That's really interesting. We have actually a great blog about that from one of our consultants that says, you want to get your next best action to match your next best audience action, which is like a really nuanced thing to where it's like, You want your journey and the most likely thing that they'll do next on their own to start to line up. And I mean, it's impossible to get that to be exact apple to apple, but you can certainly start to get like a gala lined up with a pink lady or a, what's the green one? Granny Smith. You know, like your apples are going to start to definitely resemble each other. So I like that. It's incredible that you're starting to do that. Nice work. Yeah. Right now it's time to find the best ways to optimize things. Yeah, it's hard to do. And I guess on that too, like, do you have any hacks on cleaning up that CMS? I know we just kind of hit on the fact that if your CMS is garbage, you won't be able to do anything we just talked about. Are there any quick wins that you've seen? I think, you know, what's difficult about CMS data is that you have to have it set from the beginning (laughs) is probably the best advice I can give. You know, if you're about wanting to do something, make sure that you have the data to back it up. 
you can always take the data and clean it up and formalize it and whatnot. But I would say, you know, making sure that you have things in drop downs and limit the amount of open text fields, just having that, you know, foresight to know this is what I am going to need in the future, even if you don't need it right now, it's always easier to have it from the start than to go back and clean it up after. Yeah, I'm dealing with a smaller database at the moment than I have in the past. So like when I was an Eloqua user, we'll say I had about like there were a million people in our database and it's just, I don't have that many to work with. And that is actually one of the reasons that I'll take around the company to say, we have an opportunity here while it's small, while it's niche to be really specific if we can, like it's a good time to run those audits. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you also start to get that mindset and that buy-in within the organization as well. You know, with us, there's a lot of different people that have an input into the data that we have. So, you know, obviously my team within demand generation, but we have marketing ops, we have sales ops. So the more that we can articulate why we want the data, what we need and what it's going to be used for, the more buy-in that we get internally as well. So when it's harder sometimes and when you aren't in control of it yourself, it's that articulation of what is this going to do for me and what is this going to do for the business that, you know, we try and make sure that we communicate internally. Yeah, thinking that next step ahead, not just what can my marketing team do, but what is this going to accomplish with the whole organization? If we do X, we should see Y at the end of it as a whole, not just as something that geeky marketers think is fun and that we want to report out on. I love all of that. I think it's really smart to be looking at everything in that holistic way. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit because you and I, when we had our prep call, discovered that we're both in the throes of figuring out our demo flow and understanding what specifically a demo... And we're both in SaaS. So it's like the demo is such an integral part of the customer journey. How is it working for us? How do we know that we're getting quality leads and that it's then on the other side of it turning into an opportunity or the even better actual revenue? So kind of taking a step back, give us the big picture. How are you setting demos up in your funnel? So they are currently, you know, definitely a bottom of the funnel type of activity for us. We actually had a really interesting pivot at the end of last year where we obviously identified that of all the different lead sources, demos were the highest, you know, quality. They converted the most into opportunities. You know, they definitely were like this prized possession that we wanted. So naturally we said, well, let's go get more demos, right? Uh, So that's what our focus was. You know, we had a very strong content marketing strategy last year and we actually pivoted that and we said, you know what, let's take some of that focus and let's put it into our demos. So knowing that it's a very bottom of funnel offer for us, uh, we definitely learned a lot this year so far of what happens when you take top and middle of funnel budget and resources and move that to the bottom of funnel. So it was really interesting and it kind of led us to some different changes now that we're in our third quarter of the year now. Okay. So just to kind of dig into that a little bit, you were spending a lot on the top. You understood that demos are something you want to expand on. And I think what happens to a lot of people is you look at something and you're like, yep, that's it without thinking that it's all related, right? So it's like you still need your top of funnel to make sure that what's that stat where it's like so many of your B2B buyers are doing a lot of research in the background, right? So it's like by the time they hit your demo, they've done a lot of the work and they're ready. So taking that budget from the top and moving it in the middle, it sounds like it must have really changed some of your outcomes, some of your KPIs. Like what is it that you were looking at to understand that you needed to maybe adjust? 
Yeah. So what we thought was that, you know, the more we put towards demos, the more demos we're going to get. But when you take that to your point from the top or middle of funnel that is helping to generate that awareness and create, you know, that knowledge in the marketplace prior to the demo request, you're actually making it harder to get demo requests. So we took a step back and we said, you know what, this isn't producing the outcome that we thought it would. You know, it wasn't like a apples to apples, we take this budget and we just naturally get that many more demos. So we started to say, well, what else can we do? We didn't want to just go back to our old way of, you know, having that huge focus on content marketing. So we said, we still want to make the demo important, but we want to make it important where it's not just request demo. We felt like only request demo was too bottom of funnel. So we started to do some demo diversification and we said, what are some of the other things that we can do? So we started looking at demo videos. We started looking at the length of those. You know, Should we do a two-minute video, a five-minute video? Should we do in-depth on-demand product videos? And then we started playing around with interactive demos. So letting people actually jump into the platform, have a guided tour, see what it actually feels like. And those are some of the things that we started offering over the past probably three months or so. And we found that we were able to answer our quantity question by offering some of these other different types of demos. And now what we're looking at is, well, what's that quality look like? Obviously, nothing's going to compare to someone who raises their hand and they say, yes, have a salesperson call me. I'm interested in your product. Right. But I think a lot of these are, you know, they're putting more work on our SDR team, right? You know, we're not just handing them these people that want to book a demo. But it's also giving us that volume that we're looking for and giving us other ways of people who want to consume that information, want to educate themselves, but aren't quite ready to talk to sales. And we're finding that we're actually having a really good success rate of converting those requests into what a normal request demo would be, where somebody then does get on the phone and actually has a demo with a salesperson. Oh, got it. So you've kind of allowed them the little snippets or the way that they are hoping to interact with your demo or your product to self-serve ahead of time. So not necessarily handing them over just because now they've watched this the two-minute video instead of the full demo, but understanding if they've done that smaller video, if they've consumed that, we know GEF about their conversation. GEF is not the way that the alphabet works. <laughs> and no, it is backwards. It's, it's EFG. <laughs> uh, or maybe it's just, you know, a metaphorical to where your your journey's never in a straight line, right? Exactly. Um, I like it though. It's it's away from the cliche like, oh, we know XYZ. Um, so it's good. I like it. Okay. Ooh, thank you. Thank you for saving my my metaphor there. So we're starting to kind of consider this chunking out the demos as well. And I think, you know, kind of like we were just mentioning to the next best action, the next best audience action, and how do you merge these things together? How are you looking at the quality? So what else would you want someone to do with a demo before handing it over to an SDR? Yeah. So I think one of the things that we are providing the SDRs is the understanding of what the engagement overall has been of that contact or of that account even. So we have tools where, you know, they can take a look and see, okay, again, this person hasn't raised their hand and said, I want to see a demo, but they've gone into our interactive one or they've watched a 20 minute, you know, product demo. So we're arming them with two things. One is what's the engagement of that contact to date? So have they done other things that can almost equal up to the fact that they've requested a demo? Because you can see that they're engaged. You can see that they're interested in our product. The other one is we did actually work with them to develop a different way to follow up with those leads. 
So I think a mistake that we made in the beginning was we were starting to just send them all over. They're all flagged in our CRM the same way. They all are flagged that they're what we call core offers. And the SDRs were following up with them the same way that they would follow up with the request demo and they weren't getting success. And we're like, all right, hold up. (laughs) Right. You're following up with them and saying, hey, I'm following up on your demo request. (laughs) Of course, the process... But they might... Yeah, well, they probably didn't see it as like a demo anymore. Like it's... I think of that a lot, actually. It's like we get really tied up in our own vocab and our own structures. And it's like reaching out. I just had that happen to where I canceled an event and I internally was calling it a demo. And that's just what I flung out into the world. I was like, hey, sorry, our demo is canceled. And someone actually wrote back. It's like, I just signed up for a webinar, not a demo. I was like, you did. You did. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So that was something that we learned as well when we started to offer these different demos we said, okay, we need to make sure that the team that's following up with these people knows how to how to follow up and knows the difference. And that that also helped a lot as well. So rather than saying, hey, you know, let's book a time for your demo, it's a little bit of a softer intro. And to answer your question about, you know, what are we looking at in terms of quality? So we do have benchmarks for like meetings booked. You know, so once the SDR follows up with these requests what's the percent of them that are actually following up, booking a meeting, you know, talking to them about our product. And then we track it all the way down to opportunities, pipeline, revenue. And those are things that we're monitoring. We know out of the gate, and I think this is important, is whenever you're offering something new is to set the right expectation. This is not going to be the same as a request demo. This is going to be different, but if we can increase the volume and have a lower conversion rate overall, that's fine because then at the end of the day, we're going to net out the same as our request demo program does. Yeah. And then too, even though your quality might be down right now, it gives you more of a volume to work with and to move through on your own. Like we discussed kind of crafting the next steps for them to take. You'll kind of, you've manufactured a way to increase the volume. You've lengthened the cycle possibly, but you do know that these people are here and they're interested. So better it's kind of like this middle level of quality right so it's not just dumping your email your bot email list into your system but it's not finding the people who are saying yes i will buy you tomorrow it's finding this kind of like you found a good way to really understand honestly it's like your target audience right right and you know what's what's so funny is that i got forwarded this email from one of my colleagues the other day and the subject line goes request demo is dead <laughs> so I had to chuckle and say, you know, I, I have been seeing this trend though. If you look across websites, if you look across other SaaS companies, you know, the CTA used to be front and center, request demo, book a demo. And I'm starting to see this diversification in you know other SaaS companies as well, where it's now pointing them to videos, pointing them to interactive demos. So, you know, I say it's it's kind of, you know, yes, the quality may be a little bit lower, but I feel like this is where the market is taking us. This is where prospects are taking us. You know, they want these other options to do some of this research and to get an understanding for your product before they have to talk to a salesperson. And if you're not offering it and the only thing that you're offering is request demo, then you're going to have a problem eventually. Yeah, you kind of don't know who who won't peek behind the curtain, who won't say, yes, okay, give me the whole spiel instead of letting me dip my toe in. So kind of flipping this discussion a bit, how do you know that the demo is valuable to your audience? So we talked a lot about what we do if someone's shown up and said, yep, I'm ready. But how are you understanding either the journey to the demo 
I think that's question one. How do you understand the journey to the demo? And then question two would be the demo itself. Are you doing anything to make sure that that content is also valuable? So I'm definitely a data nerd. I always fall back on the data for whatever it is that I'm doing, decisions I'm making, analyzing things. So we answer both of these questions with analytics, quite honestly. In terms of the journey, you know, we definitely promote our various demo requests through a lot of different channels. We're looking at what channels are converting the best into actually getting the demo request. We're breaking it down into the audience to see if there is a certain audience that prefers one channel over another. This was actually another reason why we decided to have different demo offerings was to answer the question, is there anything that we can see with audiences wanting one type of demo offer over another? And then even on the website, you know, not everybody is going to land directly on a demo page and convert there. So we do want to see, are they looking at certain resources and then going over to the demo request? Is it our blog? You know, is it our product pages? So we're taking a look at that just to find all the different ways that we can optimize that journey to the demo request. And then what comes after, we have, again, we have analytics on these videos. So we have a lot of different videos out today because we have it by feature. So that's one thing is that we decided to make a variety of different videos, not only to give a lot of different offerings to prospects, but it's also a little bit of research on our side. If we're showing 10 different features, let's say, and people are only watching three of those 10 videos, then we kind of know where we need to focus our efforts. And then we'll look at things like how much of the video did they watch? I I talked earlier about, is it a two-minute video or is it a 20-minute video? So all of that, we're tying back to the analytics and trying to get as much data as we can to make the, the next decision on where we want to take it. Yeah. And are you taking into consideration even the order that you're presenting them and understanding if this one is going to catch attention, but then you could serve one that's less popular, but might be more related? Yes. Such a great point. So yeah, we are kind of seeing... We use a tool that is kind of... It creates a content stream of different videos. So we are taking a look at, yeah, which video is it that dropped them into that stream? And then of those videos which one is actually getting them to binge, getting them to watch more videos? Or are they watching one and then they're just... Like, yeah, yeah. It's like the Netflixification of B2B videos, right? Like, how do I how do I present my product in a way that gets your little nerdy, bingey, clicking things happening? Yep, this was absolutely. really strange. <laughs> how do I... I see it though. I see what's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, it's Netflix for B2B SaaS stores. Just like, okay, I get it. This is what I was looking for, but that's really cool. Right. Keep you going. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has all been really helpful and honestly, really helpful for me personally. That's something that we're starting to look at. So if anybody's looking for a notch demo and you see it looking like what Kim just described, you know, you, you should, I actually heard it here first, no matter when this broadcasts. So I appreciate it, Kim. Thanks for sharing your expertise. We have approached the lightning round, which has some, a little bit more, I would say quick fire, but please take your time in answering them. Okay. So what is it that keeps you awake at night as a growth marketer? So I think we touched on some of this, but digital engagement right now, I think overall, is just so difficult. You know, it used to be that we could throw a piece of content out there, put it behind a form, do some promotion, and the leaves would just come flowing in. And now it's so much harder in demand gen. Prospects are smarter. They want to do their research on their own time, the way they want to. And we really have to work for those leads now, I think. So my focus, and I, I've mentioned this you know, now in our conversation, has been a lot on conversions. You know, How do I optimize that? 
And what experiments can I run to really squeeze as much as I can out of the programs that I have running today? I love that. I think it's, I like what you said about how the prospect is smarter now, because I think even if you've been in, I would think marketing the last five years, it's shifted that quickly to where you would have, what I was doing five years ago is very drastically different from what the way I'm marketing now because of that, because people are used to being marketed to all around us, not just if it's B2B, but B2C influences this. I used to talk about this a lot, actually, just to go on a total tangent in customer experience is my background. And it's like Amazon sets the stage for how someone interacts with an e-commerce platform, whether or not you've got an Amazon budget. So what are the best practices? What can you take away from this? So love that insight. Thank you for that. What is a campaign that you point to that you would either run on your own or is just like a slam dunk every time? So there's one that comes to mind, which I'm I'm a big, big fan of video right now. Um, you know, obviously I mentioned doing you know more video demos, things like that, but even using video snippets and using it as a way to get people's interest and get their engagement going. There's one that I've seen on um, I saw it on LinkedIn and then somebody else sent it to me as well. It's from I think the company is Walnut. And have you seen this one where it's about what would life be like if it were similar to the way that we sell software? And it's hilarious. So you have to look (laughs) it up. But it's this, you know, this girl walks into a clothing store and she spilled coffee on her shirt. So she just wants to go in and buy a shirt. And they're like, oh, that's great. Here, set an appointment. And then, you know, she goes through that whole process. And then they ask about, um, you know, what's her budget and what's she looking for? And, you know, what does she need in a shirt? And then they're like, hold on, let me call my specialist. So it's just so funny to think about the world that we live in day to day and how complex it is. And what I think is really fantastic about this campaign is one, obviously the video aspect. So it's super engaging, but it also just hits home on that pain point of this is what we're struggling with To I mean, we've been talking about it now. Yeah. This is what you're struggling with is how to get people to you know raise their hand and say that they're interested, but we're making it complex for them to do so. And right. I guess it just hits on that pain point, really was funny, something that's shareable and memorable. And I just, I love that video. It's a great campaign. Okay, well, we'll find it. We'll link to it in the show notes. I have not seen it, but what you just described is exactly what I was thinking. It's like they get their target audience. Yes. They understand and they really just run with it in the right direction. I love it. Okay. One that is not related to marketing. Where's the best place you've traveled? So I went to Stuttgart, Germany for work. This was forever ago before kids and absolutely loved it. It may have been that it was the same week that they had their like annual wine festival, but it was, it was so much fun. The people were fantastic. The food was amazing. Um, So it's definitely a place I want to go back and visit again. Neat. Would you take your kids? I would. Yeah. I felt like it was a really good cultural experience too. So yeah, not sure that I'd be super excited about, you know, a 12, 13 hour flight with my kids, but right (laughs) until they get older and they can be a little calmer on the plane. Yeah. Understand that naps are a good thing again. Like make sure they get back to that. So just sleep for eight of these at 12 will be great. Love it. Oh my gosh. How cool. Okay. And then the final lightning round question What was your pandemic cliche? Oh my gosh. So, you know, what's really funny is the sanitizing. So not so much a cliche, but I just have to share this. My husband is a germaphobe. He had clothes in his pocket in a little bag before the pandemic was wiping down like the tables before we eat, wiping down our groceries, was always like suspect of the Amazon boxes. 
So I I always have to say to everyone that he was absolutely vindicated when the pandemic came in because everything that he was doing to, to, you know, cleanse and sanitize and all of that was just like, it was just normal and we were doing it. And y'all looking at me like I'm nuts. Now who's the, now who's crazy. Yeah. And he was like, this is exactly what we do. But you know, what was really great was that it was like not a change for our kids. You know, they were just already used to like doing this all the time. The masks were, (laughs) but, but all of the sanitizing and making sure that you wipe stuff down. My kids were like, yeah, and I've been doing this. What's the big deal? Why is everybody complaining about this? (laughs) That's that's awesome. Well, give your husband a big high five for being prepared inadvertently for one of yes. the biggest moments of everyone's life. Well done, husband. Again, Kim, thank you. This has been really lovely to chat with you. I just want to say thanks again. And my final question that I'm asking everyone is just what do you want people to take away from this particular conversation? Well, thank you for having me. It really was fun and it was a great conversation. But I think right now, you know, I think a lot of us are in the same boat today. It's getting harder to generate results. You know, a lot of us are working with reduced budgets, reduced resources, but I think it's times like this that the great ideas really come forward. So it forces us to get scrappy, right? It forces us to optimize, to find a better way to get from A to B. And, you know, right now I'm actually invigorated and and really curious to see what strategies and tactics are going to come from this time period that we're in right now. So for me, it's kind of a state of, you know, let's see what's next. What a great sentiment to end on. Well said. I love that. Thank you. Where would anybody be able to connect with you if they would like to? Uh, You can absolutely connect with me on uh, LinkedIn. And then, of course, if you want to check out what TalkDesk does, if you're into contact center software, you can always visit us at TalkDesk.com too. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. And to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to Pros and Content wherever it is that you found us. This season, we are talking to digital growth and demand gen marketers about how they use audience journey, strategy, and metrics to accelerate business growth. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Pros and Content. Don't forget to subscribe if you found this episode informative. This season, we're focused on how marketers prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. Find more episodes wherever you're listening and learn more about uncovering your organization's true audience journey at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com.